This message is a ministry of Plainville Baptist Church. www.plainvillebaptistchurch.org Let's pray for the message this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day and time. Thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that your word is quick and powerful, Lord. And we ask today, Lord, you speak through our pastor, Lord, prepare our hearts, prepare our ears, our minds to accept this word that you have for us today, Lord. We will turn this time now over to you and ask for your Holy Spirit uh, to do his ministry today, Lord, to make that word go forth. And we just ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, I believe the children are dismissed to junior church at this time. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, as we look at the beauty of our servant Savior. Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 24. I want to say... I am greatly concerned for each one of you, for your spiritual well-being. My, my heart's desire is if you don't know Christ as your Savior, that you would know Him, and that if you do, you would understand how to walk with Him, how to bear fruit for Him, how to walk by the Spirit of God. Uh, I pray for you often, most times daily for every one of you. If you tell me of a friend or a family member, I pray for them. I just found out this past week I was praying for a couple that had passed away a couple of years ago. So if you don't update me when (laughs) you tell me that uh, someone you wanted me to pray for has died... uh, but I love you. I, I want to see your spiritual best. And that we as a church can accomplish the work that God has for us. So let's, let's keep that in mind and remember what God's called us to as a church, as a body here. Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 24. I want to read two short stories that Mark lays out for us here. Mark chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus got up and went away from there to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it, yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, because of this answer, go, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed, the demon having left. Again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hand on him. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself, put his fingers 
into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva, and looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. They were utterly astonished, saying, he has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. So in these last seven chapters you read, we began the Gospel of Mark. And I just want to start this morning with a little introduction to Mark and his Gospel. And, um, you know, obviously this was John Mark, um, his mother Mary we know of. Uh, She had provided the upper room at the Last Supper. Also, it became a place of prayer for the early disciples. Uh, John Mark wrote this gospel at the behest of Peter. He was his writer. And so, Peter is, uh, John Mark is writing this, and you can see a little autobiographical sketch thrown in where John Mark intersects this gospel in chapter 14. But, um, so... We, we find that God directed the four different Gospels for four different purposes. Earlier in the year, we looked at Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. And we know that Matthew wrote his Gospel to the Jews specifically. Uh, that the Jewish people would be encouraged to see Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. And that they would call upon Him. They would receive Him. Mark wrote this Gospel to show that Jesus Christ is the servant Lord, the servant Savior. And He is God who appeared in the flesh to serve humanity by giving giving His life as a ransom for us. That's what He says in Mark 10.45. And so Mark gives us this action-packed gospel. Uh, We see it in several ways. In the gospel, uh, Jesus is always doing He's healing, he's teaching, he's going from city to city. In each of the seven chapters that you read this past week, you see him continually doing something. In chapter 1, he he healed this man with an unclean spirit. He heals Peter's mother-in-law, his wife's mother. Uh, He heals this leper. Along with that, he is teaching and preaching. In chapter 2, he heals this paralyzed man who was carried by four of his friends, who Jesus recognizes his real need, his first need was not to be able to walk again, but to be able to be forgiven of his sin. And so he's going again, uh, you know, here he is healing, and, and still chapter 2 and, and the following chapters, he's, he's teaching, he's preaching. And uh, as you go through these chapters, you see this pattern repeated over and over again. And we're going to look at these two stories this morning that that Mark wrote in chapter 7 to give you a better glimpse of this Savior that we're supposed to know, that we're supposed to be in love with. And it's not the only thing, though, that Mark uses to show the, the, the Savior in the midst of this frenetic pace of this gospel. Another one of Mark's idiosyncrasies is that he continually uses the word and. 
He links passage after passage with and. His English teacher would be appalled. It's a good thing he didn't take English. Uh, But like in chapter 6, it says here in in verse 4, Jesus said, a prophet's not without honor. Verse 5, and he could do no miracle on there. Verse 6, and he wondered at their unbelief. And he was going around the villages. Verse 7, and he summoned the twelve. Verse 8, and he instructed them. And verse 10, and he said to them. Verse 11, any place that does not receive you or listen, shake the dust off your feet. They went out. Verse 14, and King Herod, and King Herod heard of it. And so, boom, 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 and he's just throwing, and you can see that as you go through the gospel, that he's just putting this all together. Another way that he shows how fast-paced this gospel is, all these works that Jesus is doing, he uses the word immediately like 40 times in, in the gospel of Mark, and he's doing all of these things that take place immediately, or Jesus does something, and immediately something else happens, and uh, in, in chapter 1, we see it in verse 12, immediately the Spirit impelled Jesus to go into uh, the desert. Verse 18, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Verse 20, immediately he called them. Verse 28, uh, immediately the news about him spread everywhere. Uh, verse 29, verse 30, immediately after this they came out of the synagogue. Verse 30, Simon's, Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever. Immediately they spoke to Jesus. It's all this ongoing constant action. Mark tended to truncate the gospel accounts. Another way that he shortens his gospel. It's one of the short, it is the shortest gospel. And so he truncated these things. For example, I'll give you one example. Uh, When the Pharisees asked him for a sign, Jesus said, no sign will be given this in Mark's gospel. In the other gospels, it says, no sign will be given except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. Who? Like Jonah was three days and three nights. In the, you know, he gave this whole explanation. Mark is just like, he, he cuts these sections down and you'll see that. And so where he expands it, it, it causes us to say, ah, oh, Mark, why are you expanding this one? What's, what's the point here? And so he really, he, he's the shortest gospel. And then the theme verse Chapter 10, verse 45, I mentioned it earlier. It's stuck right at the end of a discourse on servanthood. It's to remind us what Mark's purpose is. Jesus is the servant Savior. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. Mark introduces you into Jesus Christ through these short vignettes of speech and action. Incredibly helpful for someone like me, who is so easily distracted. But but Mark just gives these short pieces to introduce us to the Savior. And, and, and through these stories, these two stories we want to look at this morning, I want to introduce you to my dearest friend so you can know him. You can love him in the way that you ought. And, and so let me start with a story uh, because I, I think it's helpful for us to see how powerful Mark's gospel is in presenting Jesus and what he has done for us. Um, about actually a, almost a year to the day uh, ago, I was dropping um, one of my uh, children off to camp, and I took that opportunity, it's a beautiful area, to go for a bike ride. 
And um, so I, I started for my ride, and short, shortly into the ride, um, I see a guy up ahead of me riding, and I said, I'm going to catch up to him, and I'm going to see if we can draft together, if we can uh, go where, you know, wherever he's going. And, and so I catch up with him, and I said, hey, would you mind uh, if I rode with you? And I said, where are you going? He goes, well, I'm going to do a 30-mile loop and come back into the town. And I said, sure, I'll, I'll do that with you. And so immediately after that, we had made that agreement, I began to pray, God, give me an opportunity to be able to speak to this man about you. And so as we were, as we were cycling along and, and talking, we were talking about all, all different, you know, what do you do? And, and, and I began to ask him questions about who he was. He was an executive. And I, and I began to say, you know, how is this and uh, how do you handle this kind of thing? And uh, all kinds of questions. And, and I, as I began to, I continued to pray as I'm, Lord, help me, help me. And, and uh, I asked him about his religious background. And he, he began to relate to me that, uh, after he, he, he grew up in a situation where, you know what, I, I didn't care for the Jesus that they spoke of. And, and, and I, I became, you know, when I got married, I, I, I went into the religion that my wife was in. We, we served there. And I, I noticed as he talked about this, he had imbibed in his childhood a version of Jesus that was given to him in his religious upbringing that was in a church of superstition and repetition. And it promoted a relationship with God through worship of rote recitation. It gave a two-dimensional picture of Jesus in which the leadership promoted themselves as anything but followers of this humble Savior that we read about in the Gospel of Mark. And uh, I saw he was a seeker of truth. He did want to know the truth. And as a matter of fact, what he was, the, the, the religion he was in was a religion of seeking truth. And I saw that morning, I, I was asking, Lord, how do, I, how do I bring your son into this? I realized that what he didn't need were the four spiritual laws. He didn't need the Romans road. He needed an understanding of the real Jesus so he might see his need for the Savior. And in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, I wanted that, him to know this very thing, that Jesus did not come to be served like the leadership in his church growing up, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so, you know, in this, I sought the Lord, Lord, help me to do this. And so much so that as I described, and I use one of these very stories here to, to talk about uh, who Jesus is. He allowed me to pray with him before we closed our ride before we ended. I said, how can I pray for you? And, and he was, at first he was like, no, well, yes, let me tell And he opened up and, and, and shared uh, some very important things. And, and I'm, Lord willing, going to be getting back together with him again. Um, so what we need to see is sometimes people need a glimpse of who Jesus is to understand 
who he is. And I, and I hope these stories, both of these stories, will help you to see the compassion of Christ so that if you are without him, if you are without Christ, you will come to trust in him today. And if you know him, you will see and say, I want to follow him more deeply. I want to live out the compassion he has. I want to walk by the spirit he walked by and not be served, but to serve and to give my own life a ransom for others that they might come to know this beautiful Savior. And so there's these two stories here, the first one of the Syrophoenician woman. Two things we notice in both of these stories, number one, the compassion with which he was able to deal gently with people. He was able to deal compassionately. And I hope as you walk with the Spirit that you can deal compassionately with other people as well. That you see people where they are to take them to the Savior. But not only did he deal gently in his compassion, but he had the power to heal completely. And we see that in both these stories. Notice, Jesus never turned anyone away. He never turned anyone away. In, in the previous chapter, in Mark chapter 6, his disciples had come back from a grueling ministry uh, work. And he said, come, let's go apart and rest for a while. And as they went to go and rest, other people saw where they were going, and they followed him so much so there was a huge crowd, and, and they couldn't rest. Jesus felt compassion for the people. They were like sheep without shepherd, and he desired to teach them and minister to them. And the disciples were like, hey, Lord, send them away. It's late. They're going to faint. They don't have any food. And he took time to care for their physical needs. He never turned anyone away. We see that with the little children who came to him. The little children came. The disciples were like, get these kids away. This is the Messiah. He doesn't have time for kids. He's, no, let them come. They're, they're the, what the kingdom of God is about. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, if anyone hurts one of these little ones, it would be better if they had a millstone tied around their neck thrown to the sea, if they made an executive order to hurt some of these little ones. Jesus never turned people away. Even the rich young ruler, he never turned away. The rich young ruler came to him, and he didn't like what Jesus said. He left Jesus. Jesus didn't leave him. As a matter of fact, John, uh, Mark's gospel, he says he loved him. He loved the man. He didn't turn him away. And so here's this woman, the Syrophoenician woman, this Gentile woman. Typically, the Jews disdain the Gentiles. I mean, they were, they, they, the Jews were set apart to God. They had his law. They had his dietary restrictions. They had all of this. The Gentiles were just unclean. And from the other gospel accounts, we know that his disciples were telling Jesus, Lord, get rid of her. She's crying out after us. Get, just tell her to be gone. And Jesus has the compassion to deal gently with this woman. He cares for her. And, and she doesn't, he, he doesn't tell her to get lost. As a matter of fact, we see his compassion, his response. It's not good for the, for the 
to take the bread for the children and throw it to the dogs. Now, he was only acknowledging what was the typical stereotype there. The Gentiles were dogs. But he was, it was in compassion. He was giving her an opportunity to respond in faith to him. And that's what we see. That's what we recognize. God loves faith. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, the Scripture says. If Jesus really wanted her to go away, he would have told her, get out of here. I don't have time for you. But that's not the Savior. That's not the servant Savior that Mark is proclaiming. He dialogues with her and gives her the opportunity to show that she truly believed he was the Messiah. In verse 28, we see that. Lord, even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. You, you see, she knew that the crumbs of grace falling from the messianic table of the Jewish nation were sufficient to save her and her daughter. She knew the truth that salvation is of the Jews because the Messiah was going to come through the Jewish line. She believed the crumbs of grace that fell from Jesus were sufficient for her. Jesus granted her request. Go. Because of this answer, the demon's gone out of your daughter. He healed her. His compassion to, to deal gently with her encouraged her to express her faith in Jesus. But secondly, we notice here the power to heal completely. Not only did he have the compassion to deal gently with her, but the power to heal completely. She knew the crumbs of Jesus were sufficient. The crumbs of his grace were sufficient to heal her daughter. And he tells her, because of this answer, go. Completely healed her. Listen, if you come to him sincerely with a heart of faith to believe in him, he'll receive you. Let me ask this question. Do you need to be delivered from some demonic stronghold in your life? Jesus has the power to heal. You see, often what is demonic strongholds are idolatry that are taking place in your life. You are holding to a sin that has now taken hold of you so that it controls your life. And wherever idolatry is, there is the demonic. The devil, not himself, but his demons, work in a person's heart to grab a hold of them so they can't let go. Jesus has the power to heal completely. You know, I think, excuse me, for many years our country has been protected in a sense, from that. Our country has been protected from demonic onslaught because we were, we desired to do the work of God. We desired to send missionaries out to bring the gospel to the world. And we didn't see this, this, demonic work going on except into the dark places where our missionaries went or into the civilized places where the worship of saints was. There was is, there is demonism in all of those places. 
But today we see in the news all kinds of such acts which are demonically inspired, if not driven demonically. We, we see the proliferation of drug use. The Bible calls that sorcery. Illicit drug use, even legal drug use. Some drugs today are legal that are really illicit. They're sorcery. They're a gateway to the demonic realm. Murder and lies are, are rampant, which the Scripture says are the devil's mode of operation. He's a murderer from the beginning. He's a liar from the beginning. And they're all over. I, I was talking to somebody the other day, and I said, what do you think about this? He goes, I don't know what the truth is. How can you know what the truth is when everybody's lying? Here's the truth. And if you're not in here, you're going to be confused by all the lies going on around. The devil is out there. Perhaps the solution to mass shootings is not strict gun laws or better mental health intervention, but the turning of our nation back to Jesus Christ as Lord and the pouring out of His Holy Spirit on this country if it's not too late. It's something we ought to be praying for and seeking God in as we do the work that He calls us to do to bring the Word to others. What says that Jesus has the power to heal completely? Even over demonic strongholds like this woman had with her daughter? The cross says so. The cross says so. Paul in Colossians chapter 2 in verse 14, Paul says, Jesus canceled out the debt the certificate of debt which consisted of decrees against us, the law that was against us, which was hostile to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And when He disarmed the rulers and authorities, He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through the cross. Jesus' death and resurrection, His death and burial and resurrection is the power, not just to heal completely, but to have power, authority over the demonic realm. You don't have to fear that. You don't have to have a fear of the demonic realm. And don't go filling your head with all these horror stories, these horror movies, to give unwarranted power to the demonic realm. Oh, there's power there. But it's nothing to be feared of if you're walking in the armor of God daily. The cross was the D-Day against the power of darkness. Oh, the war's not done, not until Jesus comes back to be proclaimed as victor, but it's as good as done. He has authority over the demonic realm. And John says in his first letter, the, the, the evil one cannot touch you. Cover yourself in his armor that you may be able to stand in the evil day. Second story this is another example of the compassion that Jesus has to deal gently with people. Here's this man. Think, think about this deaf man. Deafness is an exclusionary disease. It excludes people from society in many ways. This silence where people cannot interact well with others causes an isolation 
And yet Jesus takes this man, he's brought to him, and Jesus, with a curative word, could have said, hear again, speak again, just like he did to the, woman, the, the woman's daughter. With a word, he healed that daughter. But he doesn't do that here. This man had been isolated from society. He had been an outcast. Think about this. Here's a man who cannot hear what's going on. He's in, he's in a room and people are laughing. Did someone just tell a joke or are they laughing at me? How long do you want to stay in a situation like that? It becomes more and more socially isolating where the person draws away because they don't want to be in an uncomfortable situation. And the man couldn't speak. He, he couldn't express his thoughts and his ideas and his inclinations of his heart. God could hear him. And Jesus was now about to bring him out of that isolation into inclusion into the society. And what did he do? He didn't just say, be healed. He came to him and he did something very special so that he would know that he was loved by God, that Jesus himself cared for him as one who was made in the image of God. The first thing he did is he took him outside of the group. He took him outside. It says, by himself. You see, deaf people are very conscious of uh, movement and things going on around them. They get very distracted easily. Environmental noise is distracting to them because they have no other input. So he takes him away from the crowd to deal with him one-on-one. I'm concerned about you. I care for you. One-on-one, as, as Deborah Strong mentioned um, a few months ago while she was here. You know, what about that one? Lord, I, I want to speak to many. What about that one? That's what Jesus did. But then he gives kind of sign language to the man. He can't, the man can't hear what Jesus is saying. And remember, with deaf people, you don't just speak louder. That doesn't help. He did sign language. First of all, he put his fingers in his ears. He said, I'm going to heal your ears. Puts his fingers in his ears. I'm going to heal your ears. I'm taking care of this for you. Then he spits on his hand and puts the saliva on the man's hand. Now, 21st century germaphobes, just stop for a second, okay? <laughs> just stop. This, is, this didn't even have the same significance. What Jesus was saying, it says he spit and put the saliva on his tongue. I'm going to allow your tongue to be loose and you're going to be able to spit words out. I'm going to heal that tongue and just like I spit, you're going to be able to spit out words. But that's not all he did for the man. The next thing it says is that he lifted up his eyes, he lifted up his face. Why? Because Jewish people have beards. And when you want to talk to a Jewish, uh, uh, not a Jewish person, a deaf person, when you want to talk to a deaf person, you want to look at them, right? I tell my children that now. Guys, look at me. I can't hear you. Don't look that way and talk. Look at me and talk. So I can see your lips and I can read your lips. Deaf people can read lips. With somebody with a beard, it's hard to read their lips. Jesus stuck his face up so he could see his lips clearly. 
And then he said, Ephatha. Jesus could have used a couple of different words to say be opened, but he used this Aramaic word, Ephatha. Three syllables, all three of the syllables are formed on the lips. They're not formed in the back of the throat, something that he couldn't see. Ephatha. Be opened. So he was dealing with this man where he was. The compassion that he had showed his gentleness toward this man, showed him that God, I don't care how isolated you have been, God wants a relationship with you. And I care about you. Jesus showed his compassion. This man normally isolated from society, Jesus came to. To show him. And to show each one. Maybe you're an isolated person in some way. Emotionally, spiritually, physically. We've had a lot of isolation over the last couple of years, haven't we? But Jesus did this to show you that He cares for you just as much as anyone else. Regardless of what you're like and where you are. And He wants you to know God wants you to have a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. And then we see that He has the power to heal completely. He didn't misfire here. The, the end of the verse says, the people note it. He, did, he does all things well. That's our God. He does all things well. We, not so much. But Jesus, He does all things well. He healed Him. Jesus has the power to heal completely. Does Jesus heal today? Yes. Can He heal completely? Yes. Why doesn't He heal all the time? Well, you'll have to ask Him that. When we were um, with missions conference, Deborah Strong mentioned um, that perhaps... These, we don't see this as much as in these third world countries where she had been to see these miraculous healings because we have medical care and things like that. And as I thought about that, I said that could be true. Paul talked about that as well. We had Luke, the, the beloved physician, and things like that. But could it be also that we trust more in our medical care than in Jesus to heal us? And I don't mean that we ignore medical care. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, don't take that clip out of this and uh, misuse it. But that often we call our PCP before we call Jesus to see what we should be doing. And we miss what God would tell us to do instead. And so we see this. Maybe you're helpless in a helpless place before God like that Syrophoenician woman. Couldn't do anything for her daughter. Maybe you know Christ, but you've been uncaring and unconcerned about others. You've not been walking by His Spirit that you might promote the Lord Jesus Christ to others in your words and in your actions to show the compassion of Jesus in the gentleness. James talks about that. In the gentleness of wisdom that comes down from above, the Spirit. Maybe you're not acting in the compassion that shows gentleness. 
Or maybe you're spiritually isolated from God like that deaf man. You're spiritually isolated from God. God has for you a way you you to be made right with Him through His Son, the Lord Jesus. God wants you to know that. Though you're alienated from Him because of your sin, Jesus Christ did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. His work on the cross took your place because for your sin, you deserve death and hell. But God in His compassion came to you and gave His life in your place so that you might have life. You might have eternal life. God wants to heal that rift between you and Him by calling upon Him, by receiving Him. This is our Savior. This is the beautiful servant Savior that we know. This is the servant Savior who calls us to know Him. And if you are without Him, He calls you today to receive Him. And if you do know Him, the servant Savior calls you to walk in His steps following the filling of His Spirit to gently and compassionately care for others that they too might know our servant Savior who died for them and rose again to give them life. Where are you today? Where do you need to be? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, O God, for this, these pictures that Mark gives us of the Lord Jesus. And, and Lord, as we continue to read through that in, in this coming week, these chapters that are leading up to His crucifixion, something that His disciples could not fathom, did not want Him to undergo. Father, may we understand how much how completely You love us, how deeply You care for us, how much You desire us to have a relationship with You. Oh God, we praise You for that. And Lord, I pray if there's someone here who does not know You, that they would say, I need to call upon this Savior who is a servant on my behalf. And Lord, for those of your children who have been walking in the flesh, oh, they know how to carry this out or do this thing or that. They've not walked in the compassion of gentleness of your spirit. They've not sought the fruit of your spirit that your son walked in. Oh, Father, pray that you'd work in this way today in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with me. We're going to sing before the throne of God above. As we sing this together. Do you need Christ as your Savior? Would you come? Call upon Him and receive Him. He'll not turn you away. You come as we sing before the throne of God above. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his
name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart. Maybe before we sing this next verse, you say, I need to have the compassion of my Savior. Oh, I know of him, but I've not been walking in him. I've not allowed him to direct my steps. Maybe you want to come and seek God's face and say, God, fill me with your compassion. Fill me. Use me this week to share your compassion with others. You want to take this time to come and pray and to seek God's face. You do so as we sing on that second verse. Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. Upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied To look on Him and pardon me To look on Him and pardon me We'll close in prayer and I notice as we're singing someone with a gift of mercy kneels down to pray and seek God's face. That's exactly what those with the gift of mercy do. They're sensitive to the fact they need to show compassion. And why do they have that? So that each of us in the body will see that very same thing and say, I need to follow their example. Like Paul said, as I am a follower of Christ, you follow me. God's given the gifts in the church for that very reason, that we would seek to imitate those who are using their gifts, who are walking by the Spirit, to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for these two small stories, these vignettes of Jesus' work in our world. Uh, Lord, to have seen him would be to love him and to know him and to believe in him. But yet, God, you've given us this opportunity, you said, is more blessed not to see and yet believe. And so, God, we read these pages. We believe that your Son is that beautiful servant Savior. God, we want to be like him. We want to live for you and serve like him. Help us, O God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.